Uh, good morning, church. It's a joy to, to be here. It's a privilege to share God's word together and to worship together as a church. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. Our focus is going to be from verse 9 to verse 14. But I want to read from verse 3 for our context. So Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to start reading from, from verse 3. We thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. And it also does among you since the day you had it and understood the grace of God, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we had we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Amen. Uh, brothers and sisters, uh, a few weeks ago we looked at the subject of redemption. We, look, we studied together this subject of redemption and we saw from this passage that we've just read from verses 12 to verse 14 that redemption is a special intervention of God for the salvation of mankind at the cost of Jesus Christ. And so the title of my sermon this morning is A Prayer for the Redeemed. And now, after we have understood what redemption is, we want to see what is the heart of the Apostle Paul for the redeemed. And for time together this morning, brothers and sisters, I want us to see that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. Therefore, let the redeemed do all that it takes to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. And this is the heart of the Apostle Paul. This is his passion, and this is the message that he wants to bring to this church, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to redeem us, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to preserve us, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough to present us to God, holy, blameless, and above reproach. And therefore, let the redeemed do all that it takes to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, in this letter, in this letter to the Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us that there's two major issues. There's an attack on the sufficiency of the gospel, and there's also an attack on the superiority of Jesus Christ. 
There were those in the church who were saying, yes, we do accept Jesus Christ, but you need this other extra thing. You need to supplement Jesus Christ with a particular experience, with a particular mystical experience. There is another dimension that you need to unlock. Look at how the Apostle Paul describes these attacks in Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So there was this attack that was bringing philosophy, that was bringing empty deceit, that was bringing human tradition, that was bringing a worship of angels. Colossians 2.16, the Apostle Paul continues to describe these attacks in the church. Look at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Look at verse 18 of Colossians chapter 2. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism. So asceticism, this is a strict self-denial and self-punishment. He says, let no one disqualify you insisting on these things, insisting on the worship of angels, on going out in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, which is Jesus Christ. And it is in this context that Apostle Paul writes to this church. And you see Paul's desire for the redeemed. We see what he wants this church to know, what he wants this church to learn in, in, in the presence of such attacks, in the midst of uh, such false teaching. There is one message that he wants them to know. And so for time together, we are going to look at uh, this, this title uh, under three headings. So we see we are going to look at Paul's desire for the redeemed. And the first, we're going to look at the desire itself. And we're going to see what does it look like and how does it happen. And so let's begin by looking at the desire of the Apostle Paul for this church. What is Paul's desire for these Christians? Look at verse 9 and 10. Colossians chapter 1. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Brothers and sisters, we see from verse 9 that Paul's desire for these Christians is that they would know what God wants for them and they would do it. That they would not be ignorant about what God is expecting from Christians. Paul's desire for these Christians is that they would be fully immersed and committed to the will and desires of God. That they would know the will of God. And when we look at verse 10, Paul elevates this desire for this church. And he says, I want you to do this so that, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord. This is Paul's ultimate prayer request for all believers. Colossians 1 verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
And we see that this is Paul's desire whenever he writes to Christians. When he writes to the church in Ephesus, in Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. And we, we saw the few weeks ago when Pastor Donovan preached on this in Philippians 1, 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. This is Paul's goal in ministry. This is what Paul spends all his energies towards. When we look at the end of Colossians chapter 1, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. This is Paul's desire for the redeemed. He says, there's false teachers amongst you. There are those who want to add onto Jesus Christ. There are those who want to supplement to the work of Jesus Christ. There are those who, who are not agreeing to the sufficiency of the gospel. And what do you do when you're faced with such false teaching? Continue to live a life worthy of the Lord. So what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? It means we must live in a way that is consistent with our new identity. Paul is urging the believers here to be different. He says, let your behavior show that you are redeemed. Live in obedience. Dedicate yourself to the Redeemer. Live for Jesus. Do your all to serve God with your all. This is Paul's prayer request. Colossians 1 verse 10. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. John Calvin says in a prayer, he says, we are not our own. We must not let our reason or society convince us otherwise. We are not our own. Let us not channel our lives to only seek what is expedient to us. We are not our own. Let us forget ourselves and all that is ours. And this is Paul's call to the redeemed. This is Paul's call to our church. We are not our own walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, the message here is that we belong to God. Let us live for him and die for him. We belong to God. Let his wisdom and his rule be the command of our lives. We belong to God. Let all parts of our lives strive toward him. We belong to God. Let him be our only goal. Living a life worthy of the Lord begins with realizing that we are not our own. We belong to God. In our sin, we were estranged from him. In our misery, we were hostile to him. In our fallenness, we were alienated from him. We were undeserving. We were helpless. We were, we were his enemies. But by his grace, by his mercy, Jesus suffered so we could be reconciled to God. Jesus died so we would live. Jesus provided a complete and comprehensive salvation. And therefore, you should say as a church, I am not my own. I belong to God. This is the only appropriate response. He died for me and I must live for him. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 
I pray that this would be your conviction. I pray that this would be your creed. I pray that you would speak the words, you would ha- you'd have the convictions of Athanasius who says, if the world is against the truth, then I am against the world. My prayer and desire for you, church, is that you would look at the world and say, I will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Oh, that you'd be one who says, my Lord has cleansed me. My Lord has reconciled me. I am God's man. I am God's woman. I cannot live as others. I cannot be one among them. I must come out. I must be separate. I cannot find my pleasure where they find theirs. I cannot find my treasure where they find theirs. I am God's and God is mine. And this is how Paul speaks to a church that is under attack from false worldviews. He says, recognize that you were redeemed by a great redeemer and live fully for him. Live fully for him. Recognize the redemption of Jesus Christ. That wonderful life was for me. Oh, that this would be so personal in your life that you'd say that death of Jesus Christ was for me. That wonderful transaction was for me. He has made me one of God's people. He set me apart and therefore I must live for him. He's enough. He's enough. Jesus Christ is enough. And until we realize that Jesus Christ is enough, we will always want to supplement him with other experiences. Unless we get to this conclusion that Jesus Christ is enough, we will never get to the point where we are fully satisfied in him. And so Jesus Christ is enough. Now, brothers and sisters, what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And so, here we're going to look at the four characteristics of a life worthy of the Lord. As the Apostle Paul continues, look at verse 9 to verse 11. It says, and so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy and giving thanks to the Father who has redeemed us. And so, brothers and sisters, in verse 10, Paul outlines his utmost desire for the redeemed. He says, I want you to live a life worthy of the Lord. We see that he's not just happy to speak in mere generalizations, but he gets very specific. He mentions four characteristics of a life worthy of the Lord. And he says here, the first one is bearing fruit in every good work. Bearing fruit in every good work. You see, here the language of bearing fruit takes us back to Genesis. God commands human beings to be fruitful and increase in number in Genesis 1:28. And after the flood, we see that the same language is used. When God makes his promise to Abraham, he says, I will increase your number and multiply your seed. 
And then Israel rebels against God. They go into, into exile. And after exile, we see the formula appears again in God's promise to regather his people. In Jeremiah 23, verse 3, it says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their pasture, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. You see, brothers and sisters, Paul deliberately uses this language of bearing fruit to show that God's mandate for humans is ultimately fulfilled in the gospel. We fulfill the mandate of God when we believe the gospel, when we are transformed by the gospel, when we bear, we bear fruit by disseminating the seed of the gospel to peoples unknown. We bear fruit when we proclaim the life-giving and the life-transforming power of the gospel to the nations. This is what Psalm 117 says when, when it says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. The idea here is that God's people are to bear fruit in sharing and proclaiming the gospel to people who will come to salvation, who will come to the obedience of Jesus Christ. And we, as a church, are called to bear fruit. All nations, all peoples, all ethnicities. May God use this church for the advancement of his kingdom. And we also bear fruit when we are transformed by the gospel. This is what Galatians chapter 5 speaks about. Verse 22. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so the Apostle Paul begins here. He says, you are to walk in a life, you, you, you are to walk a life worthy of the Lord. And how do we see it? First, it's seen by bearing fruit. It's seen by a transformed life. It's seen by the proclamation of the gospel. It's seen by a desire to see sinners come to God. It is seen by a church that longs to see sinners come to God. It is seen by conversions and transformation. And second, it's seen by an increase in the knowledge of God. God does not want us to be ignorant about who he is. We must increase in his word. We must increase in his knowledge. We must have a Christian mind. We must be fully immersed in his word. And God is calling us to increase in the knowledge of who he is, in the knowledge of his character, in the knowledge of his being, in the knowledge of what he's doing in the world, in the knowledge of how he acts in the world, and in the knowledge of how he wants us to act. And Christians who walk in a manner worthy of the Lord are also seen by endurance and patience. We must not be easily enraged. Those who are living a life worthy of the Lord are seen by endurance and patience. Endurance during difficult circumstances and patience with difficult people. We must not be those who jump into quick conclusions. We are to be those who listen with care. We must be patient. We must not assume the worst. We must show endurance in hard circumstances. We must be patient with odd and difficult people. We must show kindness 
to those who are different to us. We must be quick to forgive. We must be hard to offend. This is a life worthy of the Lord. And the Apostle Paul stresses this point. He says, Jesus Christ is enough. And because Jesus Christ is enough, you can do this. You don't need to unlock a mystical experience. You don't need some special extra to equip you for this. Jesus has given you everything that is sufficient for you to live this way. And those who live a life worthy of the Lord are seen by joyful thanksgiving. This is thankfulness rooted in our understanding of redemption. Thankfulness and gratitude and appreciation of the gospel that touches all aspects of our lives. Brothers and sisters, the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. Therefore, let the redeemed do all it takes to live a life worthy of Jesus Christ. Characterized by bearing fruit, growth in knowledge, patience and endurance, and joyful thankfulness. Now, where do we get the power to live a life worthy of the Lord? How does it happen? Look at verse 3 to verse 8. I want you to follow Paul's argument here in verse 3 to verse 8. It says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you had it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit. So, brothers and sisters, let's track here the argument of the Apostle Paul. He says to this church, he says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. We have heard of your love for the saints. We have heard that you have tremendous hope. We have heard that you believe the truth. We have heard that you've embraced the gospel. We've heard that the gospel is bearing fruit among you. We've heard that you lend it from Epaphras. Now, let us pay our attention to what the Bible says in verse 6. It says, this gospel has come to you as indeed in the whole world, and it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you had it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras. Now, what Paul does here is he compares how the Colossians received the gospel and how the rest of the world received the gospel. The Apostle Paul, he says here, hey, Colossian church, the gospel has come to you in the same way that it came to other people in the world. And he says, hey, Colossian church, the gospel is transforming you in the same way that it is transforming others in the world. There is no secret formula. There is no special experience that you should look for. There is nothing missing in what you've received. You have received the full, complete gospel. The gospel is enough. Do not look for anything else. 
You see, the same way that you've received the gospel truth, that's the same way that the gospel is working in the rest of the world. And the same way that you've been transformed by the gospel, that's the same way the gospel is transforming others. The Colossians were faced with false teachers who encouraged Christians to look beyond the gospel for ultimate spiritual fulfillment. You see, these false teachers were saying, the gospel is important, granted. Yes, you need the gospel to be saved. But you need more than the gospel to be sanctified. And Paul differs with them strongly. He stresses the power of the gospel itself. He stresses faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And he says, the very same gospel that came to you through the preaching of the word is enough to sanctify you. The gospel is sufficient and potent. See, Paul here is giving a lighter version of what he says in Galatians 3 verse 2, where, where he speaks to, to these people in Galatians. says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And what he's saying here is, you are saved by the gospel. Why would you think that you need anything extra for your sanctification? The very gospel that saved you is sufficient for your sanctification. It is the work of the gospel through and through. The gospel has power to save you, and it also has the power to change you. And brothers and sisters, if we would stand upon this truth, there's no false teaching that will tempt us to follow or to, uh, to, to seek any extra experience. We have all that we need to live a life worthy of the Lord in the gospel. We have all that we need to please God with our lives. We have all that we need to grow in sanctification. So, in closing, I just want to close with the following summary statements. Sanctification, this is what we were talking about, the growth in holiness. Living a life worthy of the Lord is commanded. Sanctification is commanded. Colossians 1 verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. 1 Peter 1 16, be holy because I am holy. Sanctification is possible. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God that has appeared, bringing salvation to all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age. Sanctification is empowered by God. Philippians 2.12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act. Sanctification is a matter of the heart. God is not impressed by mere external changes. He wants change that stems from the heart. And sanctification is an extensive thing. God wants all of you. We must not think that we can pursue holiness in one aspect of our lives and neglect other aspects. We must not think that we can do, we can just focus on one particular thing and then leave all other aspects of our lives. 
God wants your own. Sanctification is an extensive thing. Sanctification is intense. Living a life worthy of the Lord is going to require sacrifice. It is going to require war against sin. Living a life worthy of the Lord will require a total commitment. This will require transparency. This will require accountability. And this will require confession of sin. And if we are going to be a church that stands here and glorifies God in this community, a church that stands for the gospel, a church that grows, a church that pleases God, a church full of believers who are living lives worthy of the gospel, we need to realize that this is going to be costly. Brothers and sisters, sanctification is a beautiful thing. First Peter 3, 4, But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which, is God's, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, sanctification is a beautiful and a precious thing. And so as the Apostle Paul commands the redeemed to live a life worthy of the Lord, May you realize that he is commanding you to live a life that is precious before God. He is commanding you to do a beautiful thing. Sanctification is through normal means. And this is the point of the Apostle Paul. He's saying you don't need something special. You don't need this extra experience. You don't need a mystical experience. You don't need to see uh, visions of angels. You don't need to follow the philosophies of men. You don't need to hear from those who say that they're hearing voices somewhere. You don't need to hear from those who say they have visions of angels. You don't need to hear from those who say that God has spoken to them. You don't need that. You only need the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's enough to sanctify you, to equip you for godliness. Sanctification is through normal means. Prayer, fellowship with the saints, worship on the Lord's day, spending time with other believers, GC, discipleship. What is influencing you? Proverbs 13, 20 says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And brothers and sisters, sanctification is through normal means. And for, for most people, this is hard to believe. But this is the message of the Apostle Paul to the redeemed. Sanctification is both a personal thing and a community project. So sin grows stronger in secrecy. The harder your temptations, the harder you should fight to be around believers. And sanctification is a progressive thing. You don't just gain victory overnight. You must keep trusting, keep fighting, keep depending upon God, and keep preaching the gospel to yourself because you don't need to move away from the gospel to move towards God. You need to stand upon the gospel for your sanctification. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We, we live in a world where our faith is under attack and 
this false and demonic worldviews uh, that seem to tempt us to look for other experiences to move away from the truth of the gospel to experience you better. But we are so thankful for your word. We are so thankful that the gospel is enough. We are so thankful that the gospel is enough to equip us to live lives worthy of our Savior. We ask that this truth would bear fruit in our hearts that would obey you fully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.